And as you're seated, uh, would you pray with me? Holy and loving God, we pray that we might continue to hear about this thing called shalom, where peace and justice make their way in our hearts and in the world around us. We thank you for the songs that we've been able to sing, and we pray that you would uh, speak to us um, this morning, and that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. Well, we're continuing this series called Shalom, and Shalom is translated into the Hebrew as peace, uh, or from the Hebrew as peace. But it also is translated in many other ways, and we've been talking about this idea of, of completeness, of wholeness, uh, uh, the picture of a mosaic missing one piece of the puzzle, and just that one last piece that, that now everything is right, and you can celebrate and you can glue the puzzle together and do whatever you're going to do. But like that's the idea of Shalom. And we've been talking about how that makes its way in the world. Last week we mentioned how justice is an essential component of that, that all people can gather around the table and can have their voice heard, and that it wasn't just a peripheral thing, but that the prophets over and over again reminded the people of Israel of the necessity for justice. Well, this morning we're going to take a little bit of a turn, and we're going to talk about how also peace must begin within us. Peace must begin within us. So I have some, uh, we, we have filled up the front rows this morning because I have some friends visiting, my dear friends from Minnesota that were, I grew up uh, with since my fourth grade, and they have kids, and we all have kids now, and it's been fun to watch them play. I visit them when they're in Hawaii, or when I'm in Minnesota, but this is the first time for them coming here. And we've spent a lot of time with kids and family together over the past week, and then also when we were on uh, Christmas break, many of the parents did that. And one of the things that always happens, at least in my house, and so you'll feel okay, is that sometimes kids and siblings, they disagree with each other, to put it lightly, right? You know, they know the exact button to press on the other one, you know, and they just kind of twist it a little bit. And, you know, we're, we never, you know, when I was growing up and I was like, oh, no, we're not going to do, my kids aren't going to do that, right? But, you know, what I have noticed is that sometimes they lose patience a little too quickly and I'm just like, come on, you know, you should have that. But then as I've been spending more time around them, you know, Hudson, my oldest, sometimes they'll like snap at a brother and be like, come on, what are you doing? And you know what the darndest thing is? He uses the exact same words that I use, right? You know, he, he is literally mirroring me talking to him. And like the more time you spend around him and the patience that he loses, you're like, oh, wait. He's just doing what I do, right, when I lose my patience. Like, the older sibling to the younger is, like, copying mom and dad on how they're doing it. And it's just, like, uh, this mirror of, like, oh, it, they're frustrating me, and and they're just mimicking at sometimes what we're doing, you know? Because when it's inside, when we're doing it, and it makes its way out into the world, it kind of just, like, breeds this sort of atmosphere, and other people pick up on it. I had this friend, since I have friends from Minnesota with me, I had this a friend that we grew up with, and he, he was a sweet, loyal guy, uh, just a great friend, but he had this alter ego that we like to talk about every once in a while, and his name was Mark. And Mark would come out, and he would just, like, would lose control, like, just, just so angry, and then, like, put, like, the mood of anyone you're hanging out with just, like, at odds, like, and just everyone in the room just didn't want to be around Mark. It's like, come on. When's Mark going to go away? And we, we, like, we had this joke with him because he had this other personality. And what was ironic, though, is that the more that Mark you know, came out in our friend, the more unhappy he would 
you would find him in the other moments when he had like kind of shifted back into kind of normalcy and not upset. And, and one of the things in talking to him about that is that one of the reasons that was is because he always felt guilty afterwards for getting so mad and losing control, right? Like there's just something in you where it's just like, ah, this is upsetting. I shouldn't do that. And that's the way that we live sometimes in the world, right? Like we let our anger out and then our anger, what does it do? It just breeds more anger in us and around us. And so when we look to try to find peace in the world, if we aren't there ourselves, how are we ever going to get there? How are we ever going to get there? And I don't think that my friend, he wanted to be Mark. I think that it just sometimes when life feels out of control, it just kind of comes out of us. And I know for me, I talk about it on a regular basis that I, I like to like kind of control my environment. I'm a fixer. I try to do things and make things better. But one of the things I think is essential to finding personal peace is this scripture reading from this morning, which is talking about Jesus being all in all, all encompassing from the beginning to the end. And there's this phrase in there that Jesus makes all things right that reconciles each and every one of us. And the reason I think that's so vitally important is that peace begins with an acknowledgement that it is not up to us, about us, and we can live at peace with ourselves. That feeling of guilt, like you get angry, like me feeling guilty about that with my kids, if I just kind of let that come. It's just going to keep on coming out. It's not until I'm able to recognize that I'm not my kids' savior. I can't fix them. That perhaps I start to give myself enough grace to let it slide the next time I get frustrated. Right? You can't receive grace. You can't give grace at all. I, I, one of my favorite phrases from my time when I was living in Japan, I remember I was like so frustrated about this situation because we were like trying to go to the mountain to go snowboarding and everything just like was going wrong. You know, you're trying to get out the door and then like that's like the road is closed and all these things. And my Japanese friend turns to me and he goes, Shogunai. And I'm like, what are you talking about, Nobi? He goes, Shogunai. And he really wanted to come with me. He was really excited. But it was this phrase, and I asked him to translate it, and he just says, it can't be helped. It can't be helped. And this phrase became a mantra in, just in the community. I mean, it's like a phrase in, Jap in Japan that you use it on a regular basis. When things are like frustrating or stressful or you get in a car accident or you do these other things, the things that like kind of like overwhelm us and bring out the marks in all of us, you know, those angry moments, they just say, shogunai. And it's more than just like, ah, let it go. It's just the spirit of, it's, it's not all about our control. It's sort of releasing it into the cosmos and saying, it can't be helped. And if we can let that shogunai person, that spirit in us, that it can't be helped or it's okay and, and to offer that grace, we're going to find peace in the world more because it will find it in our own hearts. There's a book called The Anatomy of Peace by the Arbinger Institute. And in, the, in that book, they talk about a heart at peace versus a heart at war. A heart at peace versus a heart at war. And that if we just kind of like 
do something, like let the anger and resentment and the bitterness build up in us, we are going to engage with others out of it. It's common sense, right? But the, the heart at war is just this idea that we're going to go out and, you know, like we're living our lives, but like, ah, I can't believe they honked their horn or, hey, they're, they're riding me in the back. Like, stop it. Or I'm going to slow down my car. You know, like whatever it is that you do that kind of, kind of participates in this, not aggression, but, you know, heart at war versus the heart at peace which acknowledges that you can't control anyone else. Did you know that? You can't control anyone else. The only thing you can control is within you. That's the only thing that you can control is within you. And how we respond and how we engage with others. So when we look and we say we want peace, we want shalom, we have to be willing to do the internal work to allow ourselves the ability to engage with a heart at peace versus a heart at war. And one of the things I think that's the biggest obstacle to this is just our own self-perception of ourselves. Uh, It was, I was taking a women's studies class when I was at Duke because I did a gender theology and ministry certificate. And one of the things that you had to do for that is you had to go to the women's studies department and take a class with them. And I remember we were there and it just happened to be this professor's uh, opinion, but we were talking about uh, perception and the female perception upon themselves. And she she talked about the movie, the show, I Love Lucy. Have you some heard the, the remember the show I Love Lucy? It was a you know black and white. It's old. It's older show, and it was just all kind of like following this house of this woman who kind of does all kinds of things, and people kind of come in, but it all takes place in this house. And the professor talks about how that show I Love Lucy kind of perpetuated this sort of feeling that many people, especially women, had of being watched. And they talk about like people like you know try to compare themselves to other people, um, and they always have done that probably since the beginning of time. But like TV, right? I love Lucy. When you're watching someone else in their own home, then gave this sort of internal thought that someone's watching me. Someone's watching me. There's this uh, Instagram uh, has like these like little videos, and the the one that I just find that the funniest is like you know this couple is coming over to a friend's house, right? And so this guy and this girl like walk into the house, and then the guy just like bolts through the door. He runs into the living room. He goes under the couch, and he goes, "I knew it!" And then he runs upstairs. He throws open the door to the bedroom, and he goes, "I knew it!" Because there's laundry that's on the bed, right? Because the joke is is that when we have people over, we just think. People like are watching us that closely that when they come over, they're going to notice if there's dust on our like windowsill or they're going to notice that, you know, and, and you're laughing because you know it's true. And Instagram and media has just like perpetuated and made this even faster in our own mind that we're all, someone's always watching us, always and so when Mark comes out, we feel so much more guilty or when people get, we get mad or we lose our temper or whatever it is, our house isn't as picked up or, you know, whatever is that feeling that we have that we need to do, we think that someone is out there looking at us and pointing it out to us. Like, oh yeah, that insecurity you have, oh, you got this like big blemish right here or you had to have, you know, some skin cancer removed. Everyone's looking at it all day. Everyone. That's the feeling, this inside feeling. And we compare ourselves to other people. We 
have this inner turmoil. And the more that we let that brew, or that we're like feeling insecure, the more we let that heart at war kind of just like start coming, because now we feel like we need to prove to the world who we are and our self-worth. That for the world to think highly of us, we need to do X, Y, and Z. You know where the phrase, the phrase is, you're your own worst enemy, right? But all things, all things have been made through Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul says. The beginning and the end, the first, the last, and nothing, heaven and earth, will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Jesus. And the Apostle Paul knows all too well this feeling of being wrong and a heart of war because that was how he lived He was going around, he was persecuting Christians as a Jewish Pharisee, and he was going and trying to get approval from various priests and Roman leaders to go and to put these people of the way on trial. And he found himself there holding the coats of the first martyr. And it was on his way to go do it again that Jesus meets him and changes everything. So when the Apostle Paul says that you have been made right and you have been reconciled, it is not you have been made right when you start living up to your own self-expectations. No, it says God has reconciled all things. And the the beauty of this this, uh, end of this scripture, and I really love this, is that it says that Jesus dies in the fleshly body. And then, and it's a super theological, right? And then he raises up into the throne room of God. And one of the things that I find so meaningful about that is that when Jesus raises from the dead, people ask, can I see the scars? And he still has them. And then he goes up, Scripture says, into the heavenly throne room, scars and all, and says that, and Paul says that, brings us with him. And my understanding of that, my interpretation of that, is that we need not lose our baggage for that to happen. We don't have to get rid of our scars to be present in the throne room of God. We don't have to say all the right language. We don't have to never lose our temper. We don't have to do any of that. Scars and all, we go up to the throne room because Jesus did it. Jesus is the one that saves us, not us. And if we let that sink in, the feeling that you might have that someone's watching you, maybe it has less power over you. And maybe you start to be like, oh, that's okay. My flaws, my insecurities, my problems even, they're not problems to God. And if God's the one that determines my sacred worth and God's the one that determines my access to the heavenly throne room, perhaps then I don't need to be so concerned about others and their perceptions. And if you start to offer yourself that sense of grace, then just maybe you might learn how to do that for other people, to give them the grace that they desperately need. Because we don't need someone in our life that needs us to show up. We need someone in our life that allows us to be. Right? 
We don't need someone that requires us to show up, to be ready, to be present, to be the things. We need community that allows us to simply be. And some days it's with our hair done, and some days it's not. And some days we're exhausted, and some days we're firing from coffee energy. We just need to be able to be with others. That's a peaceable community. That's finding shalom. This is all great. How do you do it? How do you do it, I think, is you recognize that we're fallible. There's things you can do is you can pray, you can meditate, and you find the people that allow you to be. And you be one of those people for others. No expectations. It's okay. Don't worry. That must be hard. All the ways that create space for others. So this week, my hope is that rather than focusing on the flaws, that you might spend some time in prayer or meditation and think about the good, because we all got it. Things you're grateful for about yourself. Things you're joyful about this week. And then if you're one of those people that's an extrovert, otherwise you find a book and just you know, do what you need to do because self-care is important, but find someone that you can be with and then do that for someone else. I invite you to pray with me. Holy and gracious God, in the busyness of each of our lives, we all carry these feelings that we must do or show up or be something that we're the ones that tell ourselves we must do. Help us this week and then weeks to come live out of a heart of peace that acknowledges that you are the one that makes all things right. And it's not up to us to do it. And that perhaps as we find the goodness in ourselves, as we live at peace with ourselves, insecurities and flaws alike, then we can see your shalom here in our midst. So stir in us this week the sense of your abiding love that never leaves us. Amen.